morning, everybody. Good morning. If everybody would come in and be seated, please, we're going to get started here. All right, let's go ahead and worship God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds this morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of on my side, angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Good morning. This looks great. All the faces, everybody's smiling. Awesome sight. So it's the first day of the week. We are assembled in Jesus' name. A special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us, either in person or online, and welcome to all. So we are assembled here on this first day of the week in Jesus' name to give our Creator 
the praise and glory he deserves and to receive the edification that we need. So as an inspirational thought here, I would like to read a short excerpt from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's begin with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this time, this place, to be assembled here according to your wisdom, in your honor, to give you the praise and glory that you deserve. And we pray, Father, that we also will be edified. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us and in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are able to, please be standing for the next two songs. Faithful love flowing down from the thorn-covered crown Makes me whole, saves my soul, washes whiter than snow Faithful love calms each fear, reaches down, dries each tear Living flames fear 
sister face, and Jesus is his name. Children ages 2 through the 4th grade will be released at this time. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend, he met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I'm telling he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Born of the Spirit with light from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love, oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made, when as a sinner I came. Took of the offer of grace he did proffer, he said me, oh, praise his dear name. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now I've a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure, there in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believe. Riches eternal and blessing supernal from his precious name I believe. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, and glory filled 
Please be seated. Everybody's been taller than me this morning. To bring that down. All right, morning, everybody. Uh, isn't it great to have a hope in a God that remembers our sins no more? One day, it, everything was washed away. And that's what our scripture reading is about this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 18. But when this priest had offered for all, all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a foot, his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Thank you for our scripture reading this morning, Josh. Whoa. That's how long it takes. I like clicked that on as Josh and I were passing. It takes a little while. Do you mind bringing that down just a little bit? Thank you. We're having sound issues this morning, and so I apologize for that. Uh, okay, I think we're good. All right. I don't want to blast everybody. It gets a little loud. Um, this is one of my passages in scripture that I, I just absolutely love. This passage from Hebrews, this idea that God forgets. See, sometimes we, we think, you know, how can God possibly forget something? You know, God is, God is omnipotent, right? He knows all things. And so the idea of God forgetting is a difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around. And of course, this morning we're talking about this, uh, this passage in relation to uh, the, the little piece of information in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so I, I want us to think of this Hebrews passage in the context that we're relating it to this concept of love. Because ideally, if we're going to model the kind of love we show one another off of anything, it should be off of God's love for us. Sometimes we want to model love off of, you know, romantic ideas that we see in movies. We, we want to model love off of the kind of things that the world sees as loving and kind. Um, oftentimes, though, that's simply not the case. The sort of love that God calls us to, the sort of love that God desires for us to show one another, is the kind of love that he has shown us. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've heard oftentimes this phrase that you should forgive and forget. But I don't know anyone who really truly does that. Like in all honesty, I can tell you this. I think I'm a pretty forgiving person. There are a lot of times in my life I've been slighted. Of course, we all think we're pretty forgiving people, don't we? Like until we reach that limit and then we're like, well, this is a very reasonable limit for me not to forgive somebody. We all kind of have that limit in our lives. I think I'm a pretty forgiving person, but I can remember an awful lot of things that I've forgiven in the past. And so the idea that God would forgive us and then forget our sins, it's a nice concept, but we kind of look at that and we're like, yeah, but, but does he? 
Because I've done some pretty abhorrent things in my life, things that like I know I did and I can't forget about them and I'm a little repulsed by them. Can God possibly forgive and forget these awful things that I've done that I still allow to weigh down my heart, my conscience? Is it possible God, who is omnipotent, could forget the things that I've done? And of course, encountered with a passage like this in Hebrews chapter 10, it would be possible for us to say, well, you know, I see it in Scripture, but I don't know if I believe it. And I think most of the time we wouldn't say that thing with our our mouth. We, We wouldn't say that out loud. There are a lot of things we encounter in Scripture that maybe we wrestle with and we we okay, I believe it because Scripture says it, but do I really believe it at the core of who I am? And I want to come at this uh, this morning. I want us to kind of backtrack in 1 Corinthians for just a little bit and read as we lead into this particular phrase in the overarching uh, story that we're reading. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, remember Paul is coming out of a discussion about spiritual gifts and ultimately what is even better than the gifts that he's discussed. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And I want to say this morning, as difficult as some of the things that we've read up to this point might be, I think that this is the sticking point for a lot of us when it comes to having the kind of love that God has for us. See, I can, I can look back, and we've done some reading through this, and I've been challenged as I've read these passages, and as I've dug deep into what these specific ideas here mean. But when I approached this this week, I really, really struggled with how to apply it in my own life. How do I keep no record of wrongs? See, I, I kind of think of myself as an umpire. Like it's my job to keep account, to know exactly what it is that's going on at all times and to be able to say, I know your statistics, I know, I know what you've thrown, I know the pitches that you've brought up here, I know them better than you do. It's sort of the role of an umpire in a baseball game. You have a perspective that nobody else has. Uh, and I actually umpired for a couple of years. It was one of my favorite things to do. And it, I, eventually I want to get back to doing it again when life settles down. And people always say that and then life never actually settles down. I remember standing behind the plate, behind the catcher, and of course I'm umpiring for Little League, and so the catcher is like this tall, which means that in order to be behind the catcher, you spend your entire time down like this, which is really painful, and after about four 30-minute innings, you're, you know, ready for it all to be over, because every game takes five hours when you have a 12-year-old pitcher. You call balls, you call strikes, you keep track of what's going on. And one of my favorite moments in my entire time of being an umpire 
you know, you hear this, the people up in the stands. You hear what it is they're saying. You get the opportunity to catch a little bit of flack. And I usually took it in stride. One of my, one of my favorite moments, I hear a mom, and this is, this is the part that you've all heard at some point in time or another. You've got two strikes on you. You've got to swing at anything that looks like a strike, right? That's, you hear the coach say it. You hear parents say it. You hear the batters say it. It becomes like this cliche that you say over and over and over again. And if you've noticed, there's not an end to this quote yet. Because this is what the mom continued with. And those really low ones, he's calling strikes. Umpires get to call balls and strikes, but umpires are being judged on what they're calling, right? There's a little bit of a a sense in which when you put on the umpire uniform and you go behind the plate, you know that your calls, whether or not anyone can overturn them, are being held accountable, And you're going to hear it at the end of the game, or you're going to hear it in the middle of the game, or you're going to hear it three weeks after the game, or, you know, you go to the ballpark, you're going to hear it over and over and over again. But the job of the umpire is to use judgment, to observe a situation, to say, no, I know exactly what that was when it came across the plate, and I'm keeping track. I've got the clicker in my hand. I know that was a ball. I know that was a strike. And, and you keep track. You know the pitch count of the guy on the mound. Your whole job is to know every number that's going on in this game so that you can make sure the game continues forward and that people are following the rules and that no one's trying to pull a quick one on anybody out on the field because baseball players want to pull a quick one on the umpire and on each other and on the cameras too. That's just the way that it works. Baseball is a very human sport. It's, it's subject to a lot of psychology. And there are baseball players who can sell a tag that never happened. They can sell an out that they didn't make. And they can sell being safe, even when they weren't. That's that's part of baseball. Of course, now we've got, you know, review possibilities on calls that people don't like. And I'd argue against that, but that's just me. I want to tell you this. Baseball is a big deal for me. It's, it's something I love. I like to watch baseball. I enjoy seeing the games. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so much a fan of a lot of different teams. My team is the Giants, the San Francisco Giants. They're the first team this year to hit 70 wins, uh, which is a big deal. And they're going to be the ones going to the World Series. I'm calling it now. But I want to make it clear. I'm a fan of the game as much as I am a fan of my own team. And there's a tradition for a team I don't even really care all that much for in college baseball. It's Texas A&M. And they have a tradition. It's not particularly unique to them. But when a pitcher gets up and he throws four balls in a row, they immediately begin chanting, ball five. And they start making the motion, ball five, ball five, ball five. And when he inevitably crumbles under the pressure of hearing his mistake, an anticipated mistake, chanted at him, they start chanting, ball six, ball six, ball six. And I found an 11-minute video that I'm going to share with No, I, I have a two-minute edit of a video that I want to share with you to give you a perspective here of this idea of keeping a record of someone's wrongs. Okay, I think that this is a good illustration, and I hope that it benefits you in your understanding of what we're about to talk about. And it's a four-pitch walk, and now something special here at Texas A&M. As the entire student section, the 12th man, and everybody else starts chanting, ball five after a four-pitch walk, they'll continue with every subsequent pitch, and they can rattle an opposing pitcher. A young man from Minnesota missed with 11 consecutive pitches. 
before giving up a game-winning triple. Baseball. Home field advantage doesn't matter. As cool as they are in chanting that, they at least given him applause at the end when he throws a, a strike. You hear right? every one of like those that's a, standing out there. It's a really good thing to see when they actually come around and like, okay, yeah, he may not be our, our teammate, but we're okay with him throwing a strike finally. Um, do you see the sweat that builds up on this guy? See, and they're not counting the strikes he's already, or the balls he's already thrown, they're counting the next one. We know what you're going to throw. We've seen it before. We know the problem with your pitching. We've diagnosed it, and we know what we're going to get, and we don't expect anything more from you than ball eight. Have you ever had someone treat you like that in your life? I know what I, know what I, I expect from you. I know what I'm going to get. I've got a whole list of examples of exactly how you've lived before. I've got an entire uh, book keeping track of the ways in which you've hurt me, the ways in which you've wronged me, the ways in which you've failed, the ways in which you've had shortcomings. I don't expect anything more than that. Sometimes that's the way that we live our lives. We stack up a record of wrongs not of our own, but of someone else's. And we live in anticipation of their failing us again. We live with the expectation that we will only be hurt by them again. We live in the expectation that they're going to continue to disappoint us and fail us. And the truth is, if, if we look at the record of the human race, we're probably right. We are probably correct that other people, given enough time, will hurt or disappoint us again. I'm just being completely honest here. I can look at my own life, and if I'm really honest and I look back at my record of wrongs that I've committed even against myself, I know I am going to disappoint myself again. It's only a matter of time. That's how human memory works. That's how we keep a record of wrongs. And yet when we get to this passage in the book of Hebrews, what we see 
is this beautiful statement about God's love for us and the way in which he is so unlike us. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, I want, I want you to hear those words, a single sacrifice for sins. Go back at some point and read the book of Leviticus and read exactly how many sacrifices were required of the people of Israel, offerings that they were intended to give, expectations that they were intended to, to pass along, ways in which they were supposed to rise to the occasion and offer sacrifices because they had fallen short. Number them, count them. And I ask you this, when, when God says, through the writer of Hebrews, one sacrifice for all sins, imagine the weight that is lifted. See that, that picture up there, throwing these balls over and over again, the weight of his transgressions, of the mistakes he's made, continue to build up on him. You can watch. There's, there's that confidence that he comes up to after that first, first you know, chant begins. Now, he's already thrown four balls at that point, but when the chant begins, he still knows he can do this, right? I'm a pitcher. This is what I'm made for. It's what I do. I've thrown strikes thousands of times in my life. This is the whole reason my parents sent me off to, like, baseball camp so that I could play in college ball. And actually, that guy's a professional pitcher now. You know, he's, he's got it. But the weight with each passing failure weighs on him. And you can see a complete change in his posture, the way that his, his face becomes more nervous with every pitch that he tosses across the plate, or not across the plate as the case might be. In some ways, as an Israelite, when you bring these sacrifices to the temple, and if you read back in Hebrews, it serves as a reminder of the ways in which you've transgressed against God. And the truth is, if you read earlier in the book of Hebrews here, it tells us very specifically that God didn't want sacrifices. This wasn't exactly his intention. It wasn't what he was hoping for when he created humanity. He didn't say, I'm creating this beautiful creation so that then they have to offer animals as a sacrifice to me so that my, my righteousness can be appeased. That's not God's intention, but it's necessitated by the transgression. If you go to A&M and you're an opposing pitcher and you get up and you throw four balls, it's necessitated that they're going to keep account. They're going to remind you that they know exactly what kind of pitcher you are. And sometimes we have that view of God not not as the umpire who knows that the way things have been, but the God who's expecting us to stumble. A God who is expecting us to fail. A God who maybe even anticipates and hopes for us to fail. I think sometimes that's our image of God. Is not the umpire behind the plate cool and calm and keeping track of the balance of things, but the fans in the stands who are like, okay, I'm just waiting for you to mess up now. I'm waiting for you to fail in the way that I know you've done so many times before. And God says, that's not who I am. I'm not looking for you to fail. I'm looking to remind you of what failure costs. 
the offerings, the sacrifices, those aren't intended as a way of me shaming you. They're a way of me reminding you of the past and what you can come past yourself, the things that you can do in light of my grace. Don't you remember the graciousness I've shown you in the past? They're not for God to be reminded of our sins. They're for us to remember the sins he's forgiven already. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected. Hear those words, perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. After saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and I write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering sin. And yet we dredge it back up for ourselves over and over and over again. And sometimes our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is so small, so childish, so ungodly, that we don't just do it for ourselves, but we do it for them. I know you're going to fail again. God may see you as perfected. He may have forgiven all of your sins. He may even have forgotten them. He may have chosen to blot them from his memory and cast them as far away as east is from the west. And I actually did that correctly. Wow, there we go. As far away as the east is from the west. But I haven't. And I'm here to remind you. I am here to make sure that you offer the due sacrifice for the things that you've done in the past. And yeah, it's not animals. It's not, it's not an amount of money or a grain offering that I expect you to take to a temple. But the sacrifice that I'm asking you to offer is shame to me. I want you to feel bad about what you've done. Sometimes we want to be the umpire who gets to make the calls. Sometimes we want to be the chanting horde in the the stands, ready for what comes next. And God says, that's not your role. As my people, created in my image, there's absolutely no reason that you should be in the stands chanting and waiting and anticipating for the next thing to come along to rake someone over the coals for. That's not me in the first place, God tells us. And I've already given up the keeping a record of wrongs for those of you that are sanctified in me. So if you're going to emulate me, if you're going to take my position in life, the love that I want you to show to one another can keep no record of wrongs. This is what God is calling us to this morning, and it is so much easier said than done. You know, that's the great thing about being a preacher is you get up here on Sunday morning and you get to tell people the truth 
about what the scripture says, and then you get to, to make it sound like it's easy. I think uh, Brian might have said that a couple of weeks ago. You get to make it sound like it's easy to do that thing. And I'm telling you right now, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. This is very difficult to do. This is far beyond the scope of most human ability. But the great news is that we're not alone in doing this. God has promised his spirit to us, the spirit that abides within us. And if we listen to the spirit, if we allow it to guide our hearts, to work in our relationships with one another, I think that more often we're going to find that forgiveness and forgetting is within our grasp. I want to pray about this with, uh, with all of you this morning, and I want to pray for myself in this as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there are plenty of people that will hold our feet to the fire and remind us of the sins in our life, of our own shortcomings and failures. There are people who are looking for opportunities to recount every mistake we've made and tell us how they anticipate the next one. And I pray none of those people are in this room this morning. God, there are plenty of adversaries in the world, and sometimes we make ourselves those adversaries, both for one another and for those who have not yet come to faith in your Son. And you call for us to love in a way that forgets transgressions that keeps no record of wrongs. And we need to be strengthened in this. It is so unlike our nature, so unlike the way that we live, left our own devices, that the only hope that we have of achieving it is through your spirit. And so, Father, this morning I pray for a supernatural outpouring of your spirit on us in our relationship with others when it comes to the way in which we regard past transgressions. Help us to emulate you. Help us to forfeit our role in the cheering mob. Help us to give up the anticipation or expectation of being an umpire in someone else's life, keeping account of the balls and strikes that they've thrown, just waiting to remind them of the mistakes they've made. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is so loving to us that once for all, he offered a sacrifice so that we don't have to carry the burden of our sin around, so that we don't have to live in constant shame and fear based on the transgressions that we've committed. But instead, we can live as though we are perfect in your sight. And then help us to rise to the occasion. It's all this that we pray in your son's name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if you are seeking baptism, counseling, if there are needs that you have as far as, as prayer goes, if there are ways in which we can bless and serve you, we want to be a part of that. We want to make sure that your needs are met this morning. Uh, we have people who will be in the back of the auditorium that, that would be happy to sit and hear what it is that we might be able to help you with. Um, we will have plenty of time this afternoon if you have any need. Uh, to help see to that need. And we're going to stand and sing.
I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory. In your presence, that's where I always want to be. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. I be where you are in your dwelling place forever. Take me to the place where you are. I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence. Feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory, in your presence, that's where I always want to be. I just want to be, I just want to be with you. Go ahead and be seated, please. Next two songs are going to guide our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is present and Standing on holy ground, for the Lord is present, and where he is is holy. I'm going to raise that up just a little bit, and this is the older version, so we don't go into the separate, uh, separate verse. You are holy, God, a perfect and holy God. We will come before you with hearts made clean by Jesus' blood. You Blood. 
Lord, we come before thee now. At thy feet we humbly bow. Oh, do not our suit disdain. Shall we seek thee, Lord, in vain? Shall we seek thee, Lord, in vain? Lord, on me our souls depend. In compassion now descend. Fill our hearts with thy rich praise. Tune our lips to sing thy praise. Tune our lips to sing thy praise. In thine own appointed way, now we seek thee, here we stay. Lord, we know not how to go, till a blessing thou bestow, till a blessing thou bestow. Grant that all may seek and find supremely kind. Heal the sick, the captive free. Let us all rejoice in thee. Let us all rejoice in I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I do check it pretty much every day for a few minutes because there are some people that I care deeply about that I really, that's the only way I get to communicate with them and find out how they're doing is through Facebook. But one of the things I noticed this week was is that there were a lot of wedding anniversaries. I don't know whether it was just me noticing that or whether all of you got married in August or something, but there's been a lot of you, a lot of anniversaries. And that led me to uh, John chapter 2, which most of us remember is the Jesus miracle of uh, creating wine out of water uh, at that wedding feast. And I was thinking about that in, in verse 4, uh, well, verse 3, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, they're out of wine. And uh, Jesus replies, dear woman, why are you telling me about this? The time for me to show who I really am isn't here. 
And I thought about that, and I realized that <clears throat> that time has finally come, that it is time for us to know who Jesus is. And he has been revealed, and we know that. And then I like verse 10. After he turns the water into wine, he gets to the end, you know, and everybody is telling them, the, the host, that how wonderful the, this wine is that Jesus has, has created, but they don't know where it's come from. They think that he has, as it says here, you have saved the best for last. And as Chris was talking this morning, I realized that God really has save the best for last. You think about through all the ages from the patriarchs who struggled with knowing God and God didn't show up all the time. They didn't necessarily get to talk to him every day like we do. Or you take a look at the law of Moses with all of its nitpicky things of actually some people actually counting out how many little tiny dill seeds they had to give to God and how many of them they got to keep. But we live in a time of great liberty and great freedom in Christ. And we also live in a time because of the sacrifice of Jesus that God doesn't remember our sins anymore. I've heard it said that God did remember all the sins up until the death of Jesus. I don't know whether that's I'm not a theologian, so I can't speak to that specifically. But I do know that today that my sins are forgiven and that God does not remember them anymore. And he has saved the best for last. So this morning, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a time to remember not our sins, not the bad things that we have done, but the forgiveness that we have and the future that we have because of that sacrifice. Pray with me. Holy God and Father, thank you so much for this memorial feast. Not exactly like the one that Jesus went to, but still a better one. For you have truly saved the best for last for us and how wonderfully privileged we are to be a part of this time. This morning, Father, as we partake of this bread, we ask us that you help us to remember that this is the body of your Son, the body that hung on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Pray with me again. 
Father, again, we come to you remembering your son, remembering the sacrifice he made and the blood that was shed on the cross. Father, the blood that cleanses us and makes us whole. Thank you again for him. In his name we pray. Amen. Again, I want to remind you uh, the, the ways that you can contribute. We're told to lay by in store on the first day of the week, and this is the way we can do it uh, during these times. And uh, let's pray, please. Father, we are so blessed to live in these days when we don't have to worry about a lot of things that we are well taken care of. And we have jobs and things, but we also know, Father, that there are many uh, in this country and, and around the world who struggle, who struggle to have uh, a meal every day, who have a place to sleep at night that's comfortable and safe. This mor morning, Father, we want to uh, ask a blessing on our giving. We pray, Father, that we might be able to use that to make the world a better place for everyone and also to help to spread the gospel around the world. Thank you again for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me again for the closing song? Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall my praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus is a deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Wonderful grace, how sufficient for me, for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgression, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. 
chains have been torn asunder, given me liberty for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, grace of Jesus. Deeper than the mighty rolling sea, the rolling sea. Wonderful grace, how sufficient for me, for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgression. Greater for than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most divine. I its transforming power, making him God's dear child, purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity, and the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace, the matchless grace of Jesus, Deeper than the mighty rolling sea, the rolling sea. Wonderful grace, all sufficient for me, for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions. Greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's been a blessing for me. I hope it's been a blessing for you as well. Thanks to um, Corey, Josh, Chris, Chuck, and there's two invisible AV guys in the back. I see Eric back there, and I'm not sure. Oh, yes, David. For uh, facilitating this service. And... Um, just a final thought um, as we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ the perfect example that we have what amazing world we would live in if we could all learn to not keep a record of wrongs forgive and forget let's have a word of prayer our father in heaven thank you for giving us this time and place to assemble here in your name Thank you, Father, for the edification that we've received. Thank you, Father, for your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, for the message we've heard today. Help us, Father, to be like Jesus, our perfect example, as we 
strive to mature, be like him, and to not keep a record of wrongs, to forgive and forget. Thank you, Father, that that is what you have done for us because you sent your son to pay the price so that our sins can be forgiven and forgotten. We thank you, Father, for 